and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. Though I feel, Jace, you should now be doing that after your first effort at it last last time round. Yeah. No, I'm much I'm much more comfortable with you doing it. Are you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um I I I yeah, I've been told, I've instructed to say to you, what have you done today? Oh, so what I've done today is that uh about a month ago I had uh, a meeting um with a company that I can't name who when I was leaving said, "Hey, do you want to try our new, two new pedals?" For God's sake, don't tell anybody about them and don't post about it on social media. So today, I sat down with those two pedals and here they are. Uh, please do not say what they are. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, fine. I understand why I can't say what it is. Yeah. And um, bizarrely, the one... Though our I... guest is typing into Twitter as we speak. But anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. The, uh, the one that I thought I'd like, I didn't. And the one that I didn't think I like, I loved. Right. So I spent um, a good couple of hours today just um, going through every guitar I've got, playing it through those pedals. Right. If you want to have a guess as to what they are, feel free to drop comments in and let us know what you think they might be. We can't confirm or deny. That's not open to our guest who is now waving. <laughs> And I'm starting to think that our guest for the evening, and and which he seems the perfect time to introduce him. We've we've got Ken from Reverend Guitars on tonight. Um, hello, hello. Um, though it's not tonight, is it for you? Because you're you're away, aren't you? You're somewhere in the distance. Uh, I am uh, Eastern Standard Time USA, and I am still high on coffee. Oh, great! Yes. Oh, brilliant! brilliant. Excellent. So, what so what time is it? Four o'clock. It is. Yeah. Four o'clock, and you're in. Toledo. I am Toledo, Ohio. Why is Toledo famous? Uh well, uh Jeep is a big thing. Right. Uh and and glass, uh Libby Glass and uh the Dana Corporation. So there's some automotive stuff here. Champion spark plugs. Uh Klinger from the American television show Mask That's is from That's what here. I'm thinking of. Klinger. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and reverend guitars and reverend so, guitars yeah. yeah there you go you're not wearing a dress are you sometimes but uh <laughs> not today not currently uh no and it is it's funny because he is really truly a local hero here we have a um a minor league baseball team that's very famous because of Klinger, the toledo mud ends he wore the jersey on the show all the time and he usually comes to town and throws out the first pitch on opening day. And he grew up in a neighborhood on the east side of Toledo that celebrates him. And there's a couple of restaurants that celebrate him around town. Tony Paco's being the big one. And uh, he, from, you know, for, for really, for what it's worth, he is Uncle Klinger to everybody that lives in this city. Uh, it's it's Uncle Uncle Jamie. So, yeah. Amazing. So, sorry. Yeah, so, that's I'm pretty missing neat. That. I'm missing the, Is that a MASH reference? Sorry, yeah, I'm missing it. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Be, only because yeah. isn't MASH 50 years old, like today? It is. Uh, oh, the movie. Uh, probably, yeah. I know that was coming up. Yeah, the original film, yeah. Sounds because I'm right. sure I saw Alan Alda and Mike Farrell. Oh, 
on Twitter. I did see. I saw that. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah. Because the original, well, who did the original film? Who's the Donald it, it, Donald Sutherland was Hawkeye in the original film. Yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Wait, so was Elliot Gould Hawkeye and Donald? I don't remember. Oh no, been a while. I'm not sure. I'm not mm. sure. So I must you, I must admit that we can we could we could continue to talk about Mash if you want because you know the 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 theme song. Yeah, uh, Suicide, Suicide is painless. 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 In in the movie version, I mean, you hear the theme song with the words. Mm. And the words, the words to that song are terrifying. Oh yes, <laughs> I mean it's brutal. Like it's, I. It's funny that they recorded an instrumental version for the television show. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the song is because over here the Manic Street Preachers covered it. Okay, and, and had a big. Oh, I did. I was, oh no, shit! I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, if you've not heard the Manic Street Preachers version, you should dig it out. I, I will be looking that up. Yes, yeah. yes, you sh- you should, you should. What, I will. What, 50 years, MASH, 50 years, grief. I grew up watching that. I was, yeah. I was slightly obsessed with it when I was a teenager. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. one. Of, it, it, well, it still remains one of my favourite TV programmes of all time. He's Robert Altman, isn't it, the original film? Yes. Yeah. But it was. Anyway, so, I, move, on I, I was, I, move on to Reverend <laughs> no, Guitars. Well, no, and we'll, well, yeah, we'll come full circle. So uh, so the Reverend Guitars are made by by a factory in, um, in South Korea, Korea called, called Mir Music, M-I-R-R. And they are within shouting distance of the DMZ. Um, and we were there uh, six, eight weeks ago and, and actually visited the DMZ and, and went to the Korean War Memorial while we were over there and, and did a few things. And all of it was just absolutely fascinating. And, and we learned, I mean, I learned a lot about my own culture there. I had a grandfather that fought, that was had a battalion in the Korean conflict as we refer to it here now and um and i had never been and so it was fascinating to go and spend spend a fair amount of time you know at our factory and with the people building our guitars and seeing seeing more of the process of our instruments being made because our instruments are are basically made like instruments were made in the u.s in the 50s i mean everything is is done by hand and contoured by hand and um it was a fascinating process. I, I, I mean, even in my own head, as a person who does this for a living, had this idea that that you know everything was was CNC machined, and and that's why the neck joints were so perfect and stuff. And then you go and watch craftsmen build things, and you're like, oh, well, I'm a shit. You know, I mean, like this is really, it, it was really mind blowing. But it, so that's how we can incorporate the mash thing. I guess because uh, I thought about Mash quite a bit when I was over there, just you know being uh, being in the area where you know where it was. Well, obviously, it wasn't filmed there, but the area where it, that yeah. it represented. So, um, but it's it's a fascinating story, and the Korean people are wonderful, and uh, it was really cool, really cool to uh, spend some time. I need to jump in there. I'm fascinated by the fact that you went to see the factory where your products are made and you didn't expect the production techniques that were being used. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't really consider myself an idiot. Uh and and so I but um <laughs> Well, we certainly didn't when But we I I am so okay, so I, I, I'm not going to get into, I, I don't want to burn up this whole 40 minutes by talking about the history of our company or whatever, but our, our, our Joe Naylor founded this company in the late 90s, 
And he built bodies here originally, and he had the necks built there and the pickups built there and arranged by our factory mirror. Um, and then we, we assembled every, built the bodies and assembled everything here and did that for a while. And the guitars were somewhat non-traditional at that point. And Joe had some ideas for some traditional designs and things that he wanted to experiment with. And so we had this factory that was doing our necks and, and having our pickups done, build him some prototype guitars. And we got them here and we were, we were blown away by the results of Joe's designs made into proper solid bodies. And we knew we had something special. And so we went forward with the production. And from that point on, we were more concerned with the results than we were about the process of how we got there. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I mean, yeah. But but Joe Joe draws he hand draws the guitars on on a drafting board and he looks at one to one pictures and then he scans those pictures into computer files and he sends them to Mir and Mir uses those computer files to to have a body template made I guess on a CNC machine and then they use that template on the pin routers and then take the result of that and and then do the contouring and things of that nature so. Then we, of course, we see them finished when we get them here to Toledo. And then when they come to when they come to our shop here in Toledo, which we affectionately refer to as the Circle R Ranch, um, we inspect everything. But then we do actual like proper setups on the guitars. So it's not just a sort of, well, this one looks good and put it back in the box and send it to Australia. It's they they come out and and fret work is done and proper setups and intonation and pickup heights and pull piece heights and joe really thinks about all of these things and how he wants that end result to be and then of course setting up trends is just such a huge thing we we're we use a lot of wilkinson products here we use the vs50 bridge for our two-point system but we also use some bigsby stuff and we set all of that stuff up properly and make sure that it's all working and the nut slats are done properly with the idea being that you're going to grab the guitar off the wall in a shop somewhere, or you're going to open the box when you get the guitar and you don't have to take it to your guy who does the best yeah. setups. It's already done. Right. Yeah. So, so we've concentrated so long. We we've been given a product that is so easy for us to deliver that we almost, we never really uh, like used any, we never really went backwards to see the process of getting the stuff here, I guess, you know what I mean? And, and we, um, we would see uh, the people from mere music at, at the trade show every year at the NAM show and, and sit and talk to them and go out to dinner with them and stuff. And um, you know, we're a very, very small company. And so originally, you know, it was really, really hard to budget for a trip to take a bunch of people to Korea to see what was happening. And then as we started to get busy, all of a sudden we realized whether we've been working with them for 15 years and we never went and saw them in person, which is crazy. It's, it's, I, I tell, I tell the speed, it's this is the first time I'm talking about it on a podcast, I guess, but I tell it to people all the time when, uh, you know, when we're talking about, about what we do and they're like, I can't believe you never went. And, and other manufacturers too, I, cause I would have people from other companies have been to my factory because they build for a, 
some other brands as well. And some other brands have wanted to go in there, but they don't have the capacity for them. And then I get calls from my contemporaries and other companies. And and I hope you guys, and I hope the people that listen to the show know that we all pretty much get along, right? So like me and the and my competitors or whatever, like we all get along and talk, and shoot the shit. And I, I will have people come to me and say, yeah, I went and visited mirror. That place is great. And I wanted to have them do some stuff, but they're too busy doing your stuff to fit my stuff in there. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep it that way, you know? And, uh, and so, um, so yeah, so we never went until recently. And then, and then being there was really inspiring to me, you know, and we visited other facilities while, while we were in the area and, I was surprised at how not forthcoming some of the other other brands are. Like I, I would see things being done in the factories and I would want to like, you know, I saw some friends of mine, signature guitars being made in another factory. And uh, I know, but it happens, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I have friends that play other brands, go figure. And um, I went to take some pictures and got yelled at. Oh, that, that brand never wants pictures from this factory ever to come out. And I was like, really? Because when I was at Mirror, I took about 500 pictures and 50 videos. <laughs> and I've been like flooding all of my personal social media with it ever since I went there. And then people comment to me like, wow, it's so cool that you show people making your guitars. And I'm like, I don't understand what's so, I don't understand why that's so groundbreaking. You know what I mean? Like I, but, but look like, over here, it's a piece of wood. And over here, it's like Reeves Cabrels' signature guitar. Like, how fucking cool is that? Like, I don't know. It's so, um, yeah. I think, I, I think there's a lot. I've been doing this though. for a long time, and I'm still excited about it. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. 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 I do think there's a lot of snobbery, though, about where you, where your guitar is made. I think it's, of getting, course. it's getting less and less. And I certainly think, because uh, when I'm not organizing the guitar show, I work at a music university. And okay. The, Where the do student, you work? It's a place called BIM, uh, okay. Br- British Institute of Modern Music. We've got nice. five in the UK, two in Germany, one in Ireland. Okay. And um, the, the students that play guitar have no interest in having to play a US-made guitar. It just doesn't figure on their radar anymore. Yeah. It, you know, They just play whatever's the best instrument for the amount of money that they've got. So they don't care whether it comes from Korea, China, Mexico, you know, yeah. it just doesn't matter anymore. Well, it, yeah. in I, 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 of course I see that too. And I'm, I'm 52 years old. And for me, that baseline seems to, I'm like right on the cusp of it. It seems like guys older than me are really focused on that kind of stuff and guys younger than me less so. And the younger they get, you're right, the less focused on that they are. And really, um, it's a, it's an innovation and a QC thing, you know, Mm. Um, we have a lot of fun here making original instruments for artists and putting out original designs of our own. I, I think Naylor has a real knack for making an instrument that has a classic look to it without actually copying anything. So you, you look at, you're like, oh, I understand what that is paying a tribute to, but I also understand that it's not a 
jazz master or jaguar yeah. or whatever you know yeah. what i mean like you you know or or whatever whatever it is that we're talking about and yeah we do do a couple of t style things and an s style thing but that was artist stuff that we got involved in and we also put a significant twist on those instruments too even though they are some of the classic body shapes oh, so, i was looking at the um the greg cock uh yes the the p91 that's I'm got looking like, at one right now the the one that's got like the firebird sort of raised center yeah. uh, and uh, and i was i was watching um jack from peach i was watching his video of it uh, and it's it sounds awesome and it's gold yeah. so it looked awesome as well and it, it and I think one of the things that struck me um, when I kind of discovered Reverend is that you there are so many companies that do S shape T shape LP shape kind of guitars, yeah. and you don't for the main part you don't at yeah. all. They are yeah. uniquely Reverend, and I like that because do you know what? If if you want to buy a Telecaster, Fender make the best Telecaster you can buy because it's Fender's Telecaster. That's how it's supposed to be. You know, it's just, but having something different, yours is the best reverend it can ever be because yeah. you're, only you are doing it. I agree. And and one of the things that, that one of the, the continuing parts of our story and one of the reasons why we continue to keep putting out interesting guitars, I feel, is that when we when we work with an artist, um, the idea isn't that we're going to put their name on something that we make. And, and yeah, we do have some, some artist guitars. I like my, my, uh, my young guy over there in the UK, Matt West from the band act deep, he got a jet string 390 for me and used it a couple nights on a tour and called me on the phone and, and said, Hey, my, this is the best. I, I wish I could do his accent because the whale's accent is awesome. And I can't, and I'm not going to insult him, you or your listeners by trying to imitate him. Um, but he, he said uh, that it was the best guitar he's ever played. And that from now on, that was it. It was the only guitar he was ever going to use. And he said the guitar would be absolutely perfect if it only had one P90 in the bridge and a reverse headstock. And I stood there on the I sat there at my desk on the phone uh, after only knowing the guy for like three days. And I went, well, shit, you want a signature model? Cause I could just <laughs> see it in my head. It was like the coolest guitar. I'm like, man, I want to, I want to make that. That is cool. And so that's how we ended up with the guy in neck deep with the signature model is because I couldn't, I couldn't resist. Um, but so that was a fairly simple ordeal. You know what I mean? That was mm. like, yeah, and what colors do you want them in? Okay, done. Um, but what typically happens with the signature Reverend stuff is we um is I hooked the artist up with with Joe Naylor, and Naylor has a real knack for uh listening to somebody describe what they're looking for and then putting that in their hands. And sometimes that can be trickier uh than other times, but it helps us land you know like like some of the bigger artists that we work with like mike watt in the bass world and brad hauser or you know billy corgan reeves cabrels uh these guys their their instruments some of the instruments that, that we make for them are unique to the line and um and joe really listened to what they were looking for and the idea like when we were pitching watt on that bass was 
uh, when I, I I told Mike that we would be interested in working with him like that, Mike said to me, oh, you know, companies have been saying to me for years that they want to, you know, do the Mike Watt bass. And I want you to understand, I really like Reverend Basses and I love you and Brother Joe and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I just kind of have my thing. And what I said to him was, right, we want to build your thing, like whatever all the bases that you've played throughout your career, everything that you liked about this one and that one, all put together into one base that is uniquely your signature instrument that you want to go out and play every night with no preconceived notion of what it has to look like or or any, you know, anything like that. We're starting from scratch. And he looked at me like, well, nobody's ever put it like that. And I was like, right, that that's that's what we want to do. And, um, and so sometimes that can, you know, as with Watt, it took, it took a number of years to actually get it dialed in and get it right. But now we have something that is unique. It's like no other, uh, Reeves Cabral's space Hawk guitar that he uses in the cure. When he got the gig in the cure, he wanted something that was, that he could get the tones that he was getting out of his original signature model with us, but more, and something that could lean a little bit more into the cure world and the space hawk was born and, and so on and so on. And I, I think that just, um, I don't know, man, it's part of the fun that we have, I guess, working with these guys and part of what keeps us on our toes. Yeah. I know the company started in the late nineties and, uh, I think I'm right in saying it's you and your wife own the company now from 2010, 10. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So I started I started working for Joe pretty quick after the company was new. If this is where you're going, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. See how rude I am? No, no, I mean no, because I was going to ask you the story of yeah. how, how you came because I read that you had another career before. I but did. It, it doesn't say what that other career was. So and what, I, what I didn't you... like it. <laughs> well, what were you doing that you didn't like? <laughs> I was selling paint to automobile body shops. That's kind of connected to the guitar world. I was I was good at it, so I I got paid. But um, I I it just I was really fried. So I I went to um, like a resale guitar shop, and that's what I did when I would drive around and sell paint. Is I hit guitar stores all day every day, and I bought and sold and traded a lot of guitars while I was doing the paint thing. Uh, in my 20s and and early 30s through the 90s and the early aughts and um, I bought a reverend and it said at the time I was living in the Detroit area and reverend was founded in the Detroit area and I got this reverend and right on the headstock it said East Point Michigan USA and and East Point Michigan was part of my territory in in the um, in the paint business and so I grabbed a phone book and Joe was in it with the address, which is crazy because that's that's <laughs> something that we don't do anymore. And um, I I went and started selling him sandpaper because I, I just went in and looked at the machines he was using and and introduced myself and gave, and told him I was a fan and had one of his guitars and you know I'd like to do some business with him. And the funny thing is, is I was so thrilled, like the first time I got a check from him. I, I think I, I might have made a copy of it. I think I still have it. It was just so, it was it was such an exciting thing for me to like like this world that I that I really love, 
You know what I mean? And being able to sort of be involved in it, just even in, even by selling a guy $125 worth of sandpaper was very exciting to me. And so Joe and I became really good friends. And he took me as a guest to the NAM show uh, in Nashville in the summer of 99. And I, and Nashville summer show was huge then still. And um, I went to that show and there used to be a place where I've told the story a million times, so I don't want it to be boring. But I, I, there's a place where you could stand at the top of an escalator and look over the entire show and see all the displays. And I stood there for no shit. I stood there for like 10 minutes and just thought, I'm 30 years old. I'm going to be 30 in a couple months. And I am on the run doing the wrong thing with my life. I, I should be here. I just knew it. Like, it just like, a, I don't know, like one of those, I, it was like getting struck by lightning or something. And from that point forward, everything that I did was moving me towards being a part of this industry full time. And I started, I, at that show, I sold a bunch of guitars for Joe, including I sold two guitars to Will Ray from the Helicasters. And I just, I randomly met him in somebody else's booth. And Will is one of the nicest dudes, one of the greatest players, absolute legend. And he saw Reverend Guitars on my badge and he started asking me. And I gave him a whole sales pitch without even realizing I was doing it. And then he went and bought a couple guitars from Joe. And he still has them and talks about him in his columns sometimes. And and when I haven't seen him in years, but when we do, we're still very friendly with him. He's a super cool guy. Um, and then Joe was so like impressed with the fact that I sold Will guitars <laughs> that he started bringing me to all the NAMM shows. And then it took a while but eventually I did well enough at it. I went to the, after we launched the series of guitars that we're still selling now, the, um, the, the show that we launched our charger and jet stream models and club King models. Uh, I went to that show and I prepared a little more beforehand because I was excited about the new line. Um, and I think I sold 475 guitars at that show. And wow. at the end of that show, Joe said, well, I can't afford to not hire you now because all these dealers that you just opened up are going to think that you're going to be there and turn the phone. And I was like, ha ha, I know. <laughs> um, and so that was when I started working for him full time in uh, January of 2006. And then, um, and then a few years into that relationship with like me as his sales director and him designing, I was taking more and more of sort of his, I guess, responsibilities or dealers that he was working with directly. And Joe is, is very much a, he's a guitar, he's a luthier, he's trained in, in um, graphic design and engineering. And then he went to luthery school after he got his college degrees in engineering. And he's really good at guitar guy stuff like he is the guy when it comes to that you know yes i helped matt west with his signature model but i just took pieces of something that already existed joe is the one that has the vision and that has the ear and is able to translate what you know what what artists are talking about or what our fans are talking about online and, and, and things, you know, and, and still he thinks about the line all the time. And he's like, I've got this idea that I think really fills a niche. 
And then he pitches it to me and we're like, yeah, we want to make that, you know, I mean, we <laughs> still have these interactions, right? So it was the, the, the guitar side of the business really excited Joe and the business side of it did not. And it became more and more obvious as time went on. And so, um, he wanted to get out from underneath of the business side of it. And he started looking for somebody to buy the company and Penny and I didn't want him to sell it to, I I'd worked too hard to get there, you know? And so we, um, we worked out a deal that was beneficial to all of us. And so I, I think the, the, one of the things that I'm very proud of um, in this whole thing is that Joe and I were friends first, like really good friends. And then I went to work for him and that friendship didn't change. And then those roles reversed and now he works for me and that friendship still hasn't changed. And I think that that's, that's rare in any business. And I think that it's really rare in the music business. I think people are always, in order to have that level of trust, it is, is very difficult. And we have something um, that's really special. And look at us. I mean, we're still, we're still doing it. I have some shit coming down the road. <laughs> so excited about. And so it's not, you know, it's it's still going. It's great. It's a lot of fun. You see, where I was going to go with the question wasn't there. But, <laughs> well, but... well, there you go. <laughs> Jace, we'll take that. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. But okay, well, well, cool. What yeah, I was going to ask was that you seem to have gone from, or certainly in the UK, almost nowhere, to now being stocked in some of the biggest stores in the UK. So you've got Merchant City who do the show with you, um, but I'm Peach are doing videos, Andertons, Guitar mm-hmm. Guitar, I think, stock as well. And mm-hmm. it, it, what do you put down? Because it's really hard to break in to the guitar world. Lots of companies come, lots of companies go. And seemingly very quickly as well. What, what do you put down to the fact that you've kind of made inroads against Fender, Gibson, Ibanez, PRS? I, I think we have something to offer that they're not, which is why we're here, you know, and, and you're right. It, it is, it is a hard business to, to stay in and to grow in for sure, because we are up against these legacy companies that have, you know, I mean, the, the, the big brands in this business have been around for, you know, going on 90 years in the case of Fender. Mm. Gibson, 150 going on, right? Martin, 175. You know, I mean, these companies have been around forever. Um, and I almost feel like these legacy companies sort of carry a weight of being those legacy companies. And 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 it's, you know, think about it. Like the last owners of Gibson tried to make drag Gibson into a modern area and put some modern products out there. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging them in any way. Don't get me wrong because I don't want to get sued. Um, (laughs) But every time, every, every time they, they introduce something truly modern or innovative, whether it is or whether it's not, is not for me to say, but my comment is on their fan base. Their fan base is always like, Oh, we don't want that. That's not what you do. You do this. You keep doing that because that's what you do. And that's cool. 
I have I have a massive guitar collection. I love guitars, man. And like I have a stupid guitar collection. Well, I was going to ask you about I, that. I have all those legacy brands in that guitar collection for that reason. Uh, but I think we have something to offer that's not that, which is why we've gotten room on the shelves. And I think that there's modern players that have room for us in their racks of guitars as well for that reason. Mm. Um, and and one of the we, we're making a lot of inroads with the 12 string and the baritone right now, too, because we're like, not unlike the signature models, we've designed those from the ground up to exist on their own as a 12 string and a baritone. And I mean, big names have picked up on what we've done with that. And um, that all of that sort of helps immeasurably when it comes to being in the public eye and having that reputation. You know what I mean? So the demand has to be there in order to be in those big stores and there, there has to be something sort of going on other than, well, once we put it up there, you know, somebody's going to buy it. Um, and we've been, we've been very, very fortunate to have that demand. And I don't think that everything in this business is artist driven, but I got to tell you, having players like Reeves and like Greg, like Billy Corgan and like Mike Watt doesn't hurt us in that regard you know i mean this these people uh they're legends for like a reason you know and so i think that that helps as well yeah i was looking at your list of players um which is quite extensive for you know a relatively new small company it and uh i mean you've got the obvious like you say billy corgan reeves greg cock uh robbie fink Audley Freed was the one that kind of was because Audley Freed is one of my favorite players. Yeah, he's and, a monster. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've seen him with the Black Crows. I've seen him with Cheryl Crow. Maybe only does stuff with Crow in the name. Not sure. Um, and then uh, Drive By Truckers as well. Jason Isbell's playing. Uh, and it's just like it, they're all serious players that are playing yeah. your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. I know. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I really, I, 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 um, you know, it's really funny. I used to bartend at this little bar here in Toledo and the truckers played there when I, years and years ago, you know, in the late nineties. Mm. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing to sort of watch some of these bands grow. Um, and really I, there's a lot of people that I talk to, you know, when they were on their way up, like, like the truckers who have kept us around. And I know Isbell doesn't play our guitars all the time. You know, he's got his own guitars. He's got, you know, classic vintage stuff that he's bought now that he's, you know, had the means to do so that he loves. Uh, but then every once in a while, I'll see him out with his flat rock or his volcano or something. And people will send me, he played his flat rock at the Opry last year for something. And I got a million pictures, like my phone was blowing up. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I sold him that guitar 15 years ago, you know, like, it's so cool. And it's so cool that he still thinks enough of it, enough of us to like use it out every once in a while and everything. And that's all instrument that has nothing to do with our relationship with him. That's he likes that guitar and he still uses it. I haven't talked to him in years. So uh, that's so cool. I love that. And it says something too. I don't know what. 
but it is great. It's very fun. <laughs> Yeah. You were talking about your collection because I was on your Instagram page uh, earlier today, uh, and and I was struck. Um, given that you're the CEO of a guitar company, and you've you've talked about how you don't mind showing pictures of stuff being made, and people think that's odd. And actually, it struck me as being odd but brilliant. Is that you clearly love guitars because for every picture of a Reverend guitar, there's some kind of vintage guitar, or, or not necessarily vintage um yeah sort of like alongside it i mean i was i was particularly struck with your 63 jazz master that you posted about <laughs> yes that got traded into a reverend dealer here in toledo um uh probably 10 years ago now and uh i just happened to be delivering stuff there and saw it and one thing led to another and it's a, i have it <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> But and and it's neat because so that dealer was was they're no longer around there. They were uh, Durdell's Music here in Toledo, and um, one of Fender's very first outside sales reps was a Toledoan, and um, and he was the first rep that Leo hired to work east of the Mississippi, and that Durdell's Music Store was the first Fender dealer east of the Mississippi as a result. Because the guy got the job and went to the local music store and opened him up as a dealer. Isn't that cool as hell? And uh, and so, yeah. So there's this like long legacy of, of Fenders sold here in the area through Durdell's. And when that guitar had all the hang tags in the original bill of sale from when it was new in the case wow. from our dealer here. And I just thought that that was too cool to, to pass up on. And vintage jazz masters are quirky instruments, and I don't have a lot of use for it in any of the things that I do or any of the bands that I play in or anything, but I, I just love it. I like to, I don't know, there's something really special about that one. But, and I, and I, I like modern stuff too. I, my first real guitar when I was gigging out in bands in the late 80s, the first real guitar that I bought for myself was a RG570 in jewel blue hsh with the original ibanez edge on it and that was my main guitar for between 88 and 93 it was the only guitar i had basically um i had a 60 i had i learned how to play on a 68 telly that my uncle bought new and i i still have that and i'm looking at his 65 twin that he bought new is here in our studio at the office and he passed away when i was really young and I did learn how to play on that, but I, 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 I was not savvy enough to punk rock on that guitar in the late nineties or the late eighties. I mean, and uh, I really wanted the Ibanez because of a Southern California band called big drill car that my punk rock band, the culture bandits opened up for big drill car. And they were on uh cruise records with all and the chemical people and the descendants and all of that was all the stuff that I liked them. So uh this big drill car band i was fascinated with their guitar player he was an ibanez guy and so it really it didn't have anything to do with vi i guess is what i'm saying which everybody tells the story and i was like i don't know i heard about steve vi because i like the guitar not the other way around which is weird but um and of course at the time the 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 gems were like the top of the line thing of that brand and i always wanted one and um in uh, 10 or 12 years ago, I got most of them just through a series of trades and things. And I had some vintage stuff that was worth quite a bit more. 
that didn't interest me as much. And I could tell that it was maybe the right time to buy some of those gems, Mm. you know, but I bought them because I like, I buy stuff because I like it more than because I think it's going to raise in value. You know what I mean? Um, And I buy them to like play them and stuff. And so I have a lot of players grade things or whatever, but a lot of Ibanez. And then every once in a while, I'll pop onto something new that I see that I just like somebody who I think is just doing it right. Um, I recently got a Cower Banshee, what a cool guitar. And Cower is a brand here from Southern California, and that guy's doing—he's doing neat shit, you know. And uh, you know, I just like guitars, man. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, how how are the bands going? Because I think when we spoke when you came to the guitar show in twenty twenty, you were in a ska punk band. I. I am. I'm in a band called Jay Navarro and the Traitors. Uh, Traitors. Jay is the um, lead singer of a Detroit band called the Suicide Machines, which are um, pretty significant in that in that scene in the ska punk scene, as it were. And they they travel all over the world. And as a result, we're we're his like side project thing, and it's a little bit more traditional. And then it keeps getting weirder and weirder, which is great. And um, and because of Jay's notoriety, uh, we it, we've gotten ourselves some pretty cool opportunities to do things. And we just signed to a bigger label. Uh, we come over. We right before that guitar show um, in late 2019, we played the Specialized Festival south of London, which is a, a big uh, Scott. Mm thing that goes on over there every year uh and we are not doing that this year but i think we might be doing it again next year and we're trying to incorporate some more shows around the uk if we're going to come over again as opposed to just coming over and doing one festival and coming home um this year we toured the states with big d and the kids table for a couple weeks and uh possibly have something else coming down the road tour wise for the end of the year so i still get out there and play it's awesome (laughs) <laughs> and I've been a couple other bands around town here. I actually play in a Pink Floyd tribute polka band. <laughs> Pink Floyd tribute polka band. It's true. How, yeah. how, how does that work? We transposed all the Pink Floyd songs into two, four, and three, four. So it's either a waltz <laughs> or a two step. And uh, there's not a song that doesn't work. Okay. I swear it's the craziest thing. Uh, Shine on you, Crazy Diamond makes a beautiful waltz. <laughs> And um, we play the Dark Side of the Moon in its entirety, the the Wish You Were Here in its entirety, um, most of the wall. We have performed the wall in its entirety in the in our history, which is a really fun thing to do. Um, and we've had a few lineup changes, but mostly, I mean, that band has been going pretty strong for 16, 17 years now. It's a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're definitely going to have to play Coventry. Isn't Coventry the uh, the birthplace of british scar <laughs> i yeah i would like to spend some more time over there you know i really enjoy it and the funny thing is it's a polka band that got me into the ska band because the, the navarro saw me playing the polka band he was like i'm certain the ska project dude i think i'd like you to be involved and i it never occurred to me that i oh cool um and i'm more of a i i, I fancy myself the saxophone player in the ska band so jay plays the rhythm guitar and the ska rhythms, you boy, he's got it. He's really good at it, you know. Um, and people don't think about the ska rhythm and how complicated it is, but it's 
it is a world of its own. Mm. You know, uh, there's no one. The two is late. The three is on point, And the four is early if you're doing it properly. <laughs> right, okay. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And it's and it's fun to 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 be involved in, in something like that. So I play a lot of lead in that band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, where, uh, where do we go? Where I, do we go I, from I, that? I, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I got, I got, the only thing I've got written left down to talk about really <laughs> was the, um, you got a couple of unique bits that go on Reverend Guitars. Um, okay. That, uh, did I read that you've got a patent pending on the string tree? Did I read that correctly? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, because it's uh, one, one, so it's, it holds down the top three strings in a traditional bolt-on neck style headstock, uh, but it does it with just the one screw. Mm. Um, so it's, and we call it the triple tree, and it is, fairly unique to us it's single rod and it works perfectly works as advertised um yeah and i've seen some subtle variations of it out there uh so the yes indeed the patent is is pending we'll see how that goes um but uh and then of course we we run rail hammer pickups out of this business yeah, so that was um, a separate as business. a separate company. Yeah. Yep. So after Penny and I took over the business side of Reverend from Joe, Joe um created the Railhammer pickups and patented them. And um and they're they're very unique uh, with blades under the wound strings, um oversized poles under the plane strings to balance the output of the blades. Uh, Joe discovered that by um like just through sort of trial and error like some of his favorite players heavy tones were very very percussive and focused because of the blades right and under like extreme high gain uh but then he always felt that the um the lead sounds were very shrill and again it's just because of the physics of using blades for pole pieces hmm. um and so because you're taking a really thin slice of the magnetic field created by the strings it's my favorite sentence i say it all the time uh <laughs> so he figured a way to balance the two things so to have those blades under under the the wound strings to get that that heavy percussiveness but also the string to string sort of clarity yet by using the poles um under the plane strings you would have that sweet sort of nice warm open tone on the top of the guitar and then he found that when you throw it all together you get a humbucker with the clarity of the of a p90 or a single coil like your string to string thing and not only um did it fulfill his metal desires um but also in a, in a neck pickup format it, it it's it's the it's the cleanest sounding jazz pickup it's amazing um, clean tones are incredibly chimey and rich and and any in-between tones. I mean, it's just like it's the greatest all-around sounding humbucking pickup. And we've it's resulted in us doing signature pickups with Corgan, uh, two sets of signature pickups with Corgan. There's this so when we originally did the Corgan guitar, 
we came out with Corgan pickups for that guitar. And Billy says it best. I mean, Billy says those original pickups and that original guitar are the best modern guitar tone. Like, right, what he considers happening right now in heavy guitar sounds. So when he was touring with the Pumpkins, he, of course, has to go back and play things off the first couple few records, right? Yeah. Um, And he ended up reverting to, like, his older setup to really nail those sounds. And when questioned about it, Joe's... Joe and he ended up having this whole conversation, which ended up in a second signature model for Billy so that he could explore those older tones in a modern guitar. And um, so there's a whole other set of Corgan rail hammers that's going to be available on the market before the end of the year, which we're really excited about. But then there's there's the Reeves pickups, uh, Kyle Shutt from The Sword, uh, Bob Balch from Fu Manchu. We were able to sort of tweak our production pickups and to give them something that was unique to their sound through their rigs. Um, and the whole thing is sort of taken a life of its own. So with the idea that we would like other OEMs to use these pickups in their instruments, we didn't want to just brand them Reverend Pickups. Um, so that's why it's sort of off there as its own brand. Um, and we do very, we do pretty well with them. And that is also something... One of the keys, and I want to go back to an earlier question, too, before I let you go. I mean, one of the the keys to, I think, I hope, uh, our, our continuing success, right, knock on wood, um, is, is just the is longevity. I think guitar players are of the ilk where if they see something that they don't recognize, their eyes very quickly move on to the next thing. <laughs> and uh i think by the nature that of of us being around for 25 years and the pickups are going on 10 years now by the way uh i think you have to be in this business for 10 years before people are like oh i've seen that somewhere i think i'm gonna look into that a little further yeah. you know whereas like you know your guitar guys will dismiss things unless it's been sort of tried and true out there for a little bit. And and I'm starting to see that with the pickups in particular right now really seem to be gaining a life of their own. And I don't and I know that the biggest thing that we need to improve around here is our marketing of the pickups. You know, we haven't done a new website for it for a little while. And um and we're we're constantly talking about ways that we can sort of uh double down on those and get them out there because we're offering something very unique that we're very excited about. So there, I over-answered your question again. I hope you're happy. I, I'm very happy. Um, <laughs> it, it, this is pretty much what I expected when I emailed you and said, did you want to come on? <laughs> Good, I'm glad. And so let's talk about the guitar show. Okay. Uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Uh, did you have one this year? We, we did. Uh, yeah, so I moved it from... Fe- so I launched it um, in the summer for February 22. And then it got really dark again, COVID-wise. And sort of like the week after I put the tickets on sale, um, there were rumours that we were going to go into another lockdown. And and it was like, "Mm, February seems too close. So I moved it to May, um, which worked really well. Um, And so it happened. It was probably about 90% of the size of the one that you came to because you know some people didn't want to travel to do it 
I, sure, you sure. Know, I understood that. And it was always kind of like, just get through this kind of weird first post pandemic one and then rebuild for 23 moving forward sort of thing. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I was shitting myself completely. <laughs> this is all my money on the line, hiring the venues, doing the marketing and, you know, building the show sort of thing. And the ticket sales were slow. They ended up where they where they're supposed to be, but they were much slower getting there. And I think it, that was people's reluctance to spend money. I see it all the time with gig tickets here at the moment. Nowhere selling out until the week before because people are like, is it still going to happen? You know, I've got Jason Isbell tickets from two and a half years ago that I still haven't seen him. So I understood that process. Sure. But, of course, of course. You know, I got into I got into the hall. It was Friday, which is build up. And the first part of Friday is just me and the stand contractors in the building. There's no one else there. So I'm basically just sat watching them build all the booths. And and then from midday, the exhibitors start coming in. And, and it went from being like a really sort of like cold, empty hall with no one in it to within yeah. about half an hour, loads of people going, dude, haven't seen you for ages. And like yeah. hugs and laughter. And then... And then the Saturday was just insane. It was just like the the previous two years had just disappeared. That's uh, great. And, and, Good. Uh, and this, the next show, I was going to say this year, next year's show, is um, is going really well. I mean, it's Good. all it's almost as big as um, this year's show, and I've still got five and a half months to go to to fill it. And you know, I mean, I I think it was Saturday. I. I picked up my phone Saturday lunchtime and looked and there were two companies from France that were like, hey, can I come and do your show? I was like, uh, yeah, of course you can. Um, so it's kind yeah, of nice that it, sure. it, it oh, stopped, it stopped being, because this year was pretty much UK only. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really. Um, oh, the NAM show this year was very similar. Only it wasn't anywhere near 90% of what it usually is. No, it I have significantly heard, smaller. But... I did. I didn't bother. First time in twenty years, I've not bothered coming over. I'm. I'm going over in April uh, next year. In fact, we both are. We both are. Uh, mm-hmm. Good. Uh, and, we'll be and there. I'm, and I'm really hoping that in twenty four Nashville comes back because I really enjoy summer now. Just because it's a bit of a laugh, really. It hasn't got the pressure of winter now. It. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it was. Um... I wish the price for the manufacturer reflected that. Ah. <laughs> I also, listen, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for NAMM. So um, we have supported every NAMM show um, since we, well, since 2005. We've supported every NAMM show. Um, and uh, I like them all. And I like the Summer NAMM show too. I can. W- what helps me with Summer NAMM is that it's about seven hours away. Yeah, And so I load our whole display into my band's trailer and drive it, <laughs> which is hilarious because I always I, I think about the the CEOs of other guitar companies and how they travel because <laughs> I've been told. And, and I, I think about me and my band's shit <laughs> driving to the damn show, you know, uh, it's funny, but um. That helps me with that. And we have so many friends in, in Nashville that it's that for us, it's, you know, we enjoy it for that regard and we don't put any pressure on sales. But then Nam, 
it used to be that, you know, when I was working for Joe, Joe would have expectations of what we would do going to that show, what we would sell. And now it's a marketing event. Mm, yeah. You, we just don't, you don't take orders and things like that. Like no. you used to, you know, your show is a little bit different because your show is set up around retail transactions having yeah. uh, happening right there on the spot, which I prefer. And, and I do, um, I do a show in Philadelphia here every fall and a show in Dallas every spring that are big retail event shows like that. And the, the Dallas international guitar festival, um, I strongly recommend if you like vintage stuff and you like guitar music, you should come and check it out just well, once. My for daughter, grants. my daughter is um, she's in her second year of university, and in her third year, she spends uh, a whole uh, academic year um, studying at an American university. Cool. Um, she's been going through the the list of possibles, and she's put down Texas University as one of her favorites and Michigan as one of her favorites. Um, so I, I, I like just either's fine. Um, <laughs> we'll be yep. coming to visit you quite often. There you go. Um, well, if she does end up, if you do end up bringing her to Michigan, we are 45 minutes South of the university of Michigan where we are. Cool. And uh, as a matter of fact, I am going to Michigan football this weekend. Ooh, I t- that's, that's not, proper football is it no. wrong shape ball yeah yeah sorry boys <laughs> it is what it is and uh i'm not a big sports person so i'm not i respect all of it so it doesn't matter to me no i, I, like... I can't i i'll tell you right now i'm not getting out there and doing either thing so <laughs> i'm <laughs> i went to uh, see but... um who do, I, I went to what's the other new york team the buffalo bills okay i went to see them play the jaguars at wembley stadium yeah i remember when they did that yeah yeah i've always um i've always had a, a love for the green bay packers i have literally no idea why but they're fan owned so that's um, kind of cool right yeah that's kind of a it's kind of a unique thing in sports you know um but anyway yeah but that 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 dallas show i mean he he runs live music on a couple of different stages all weekend long. And he usually, I mean, he brings in huge players. Uh, last year, I, Paul Gilbert did a brilliant show Sunday afternoon last year. And, and so he usually, but he brings in big, big stuff. And, um, and so uh, more and more uh, manufacturers have been doing that show as time goes on. It's, it's a really big three day event. It's a lot of fun. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and and so it's become sort of a I, I enjoy that more than the NAMM shows, to be honest. Well, to, to be um, fair, I love the I, you've probably never been because you're always working on the booth. But that little guitar show that takes place in Cosa Mesa while NAMM's on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never been to it. I've heard a lot of good things about that show um, for sure. And I, I, I just like that kind of thing. I like I like talking to people. I like talking to like real like. You know, it makes me always, always, I'm always, I always come away from those public guitar shows inspired because I've been doing those shows for 25 years with Joe as well. Mm. And inevitably somebody always comes up to me at one of those shows and says, yeah, dude, I've been playing guitar for 30 years. I've never heard of that. What is this? And of course the inclination when you're so involved in like, this is what I do every day. Right. So one reaction that you could have to that is, well, what have you been living under a rock? I've been doing this forever. But the the reaction that that I that I like to have <laughs> is is yeah 
that this is like thing that I told you, like people are so focused on the stuff that they're into that here's a guy 30 years in, he still hasn't seen us. We have that much room to grow. There are so many people that we're still connecting with in doing this, that the door is still wide open. You know, there, there's, there's so much left to like take on. And that's why I like doing those public shows because I always get to talk to people who have never heard of us and give them whatever our current pitch is and whatever <laughs> the thing that we're excited about now is, you know what I mean? And and like see their reactions to things that we've been making for 20 years and to things that we just started making because it's all new to them. And it, it helps, it helps us sort of, you know, guide, it helps me sort of guide the ship or whatever. And, and it's a lot of fun. And I have that same thing at your show. I talked to a ton of people at your show who couldn't believe that I was there. And I'm like, why? This is cool. Um, and I, I don't know, man, I, I really like that kind of, I really like that kind of one-on-one -on -one with people. I know that sounds all like cheesy and corny and shit or whatever, but whatever. I don't care. No, I, you know I, what I really like about your show too, is there's a lot of brand, like a lot of small builders there mm. stuff I'd never seen before. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I walked around to your show, like, what the fuck is this? Like, Whoa, this is crazy. You know? And, and, and like, I wanted to take about four things home. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, it, it's the thing that, I mean, it, the way I do it, like you do it is because I go to Nam and you see stuff and you can't buy it. You know, right, right, and right, it's kind right. of like so. I know I'm there to work, but I'm still a guitar nerd as well. Yeah. So th that that's frustrating. I think that where <laughs> my show wins is that lots and lots of those little guys that are they're not making it in a shed. They've got a little unit somewhere, but you know, sure. they're, they're, yeah. uh, but they can't afford to go to Nam because you know. I mean, you're probably looking at five to ten grand even for a small booth to get over there. Uh, yeah, and, and what you would have to sell in order to to have all that in, you know what I mean, in order to budget all that. I mean, it's yeah. a lot for for small makers, yeah. of course. Yeah. So, and and you know, I mean, it also that then not if they did sell that, how on earth would yeah. they produce it in sure. their little sure. industrial unit? So, you know, I that's what I really like about mine is that the fact that. Yamaha can be there, the, you know, the huge corporation. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know, the two Pauls from um, Radio Shop Pickups that, you know, work out of a small unit in South Wales, you know, yeah. and they they sit side by side. And I think that's really nice. Um, we are loosely planning on bringing Matt West to your show this year, by the way. And that, that of course, depends on, on Neck Deep's tour schedule and and all the things that they're doing but he's expressed interest in coming down cool um and hanging out or coming over and hanging out as the case may be um so yeah i'll keep you posted on that tell him there's a curry in the offing on the saturday night oh yeah yeah for sure i'll tell him <laughs> <laughs> all right we should probably wrap it up there we thank probably so should much, Ken. <laughs> yeah thank it was you. really fun talking to you guys thank you very much thanks for having me and uh we will see you in february i'll see you then mate cheers, Count cheers on Ken. Cheers. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. 
If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at The Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Thank you.